We're in chapter 15, and last week we left off with Yeshua healing a Canaanite woman's daughter. And we spoke about it last week, but it's kind of important to this week's teaching as well, so I want to just kind of summarize, take a few minutes to summarize the story again. The woman comes to him, as we pointed out, the Canaanites to a Jewish mindset of the day are, as far as Gentiles go, the lowest of the low. And she comes to him and asks for her daughter to be healed. And I'm just going to read it quickly again, verse 21. Leaving that place, Yeshua withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Yeshua did not answer a word. And so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, It's not right to give the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Yeshua answered, Woman, you have great faith, and your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. And so she comes to him, and she asks him to help her, and he does not respond to her. But then when his disciples ask him to send her away, he seemingly attempts to do that as he says, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, woman, I have nothing for you. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. Go away. The woman who I might add called him the son of David, a term for the Messiah of Israel, has heard of his deeds. She's heard that he is the Messiah of Israel and she is persistent. And she says to Yeshua again, Lord, please help me. And Yeshua says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In other words, to the unclean. And she replies, Lord, even the dogs are fed by their master. In other words, even the Gentiles, even though I, the lowest of the Gentiles, who have no covenant promises concerning the Messiah, even the Gentiles are subject to and fed by God. They may eat just the crumbs, but the master still feeds them. And the master still cares for the dogs as he does for his whole creation. And to that, Yeshua responds and heals her daughter because of her great faith. And we spoke about how this is very much like the story of the centurion. And it's about the Gentile inclusion into Israel. And we can also, in the story, see that that it shows how God's order of things is, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Well, would this Gentile inclusion be important to the readers that Matthew is writing to? Well, yes, it is. The Jewish person of the first century knows Messiah must do certain things in order to be the Messiah. And while we see, he says, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Isaiah also said this, In chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, to be a covenant for the people, a light 
for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And Matthew finds it important for his readers to show that the Messiah, Yeshua, did in fact do exactly this. He did free that captive. Her daughter was freed from demon possession. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, they knew Messiah would be a light to the entire earth. And as we're going to see in a moment, he was a light to the nations. Not just after his death through his disciples as we know, but as we're going to see in a moment, he's going to preach to them here on earth as well. And Matthew deems it important that his Jewish readers understand that. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 4 says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Again, this is what we're going to see today. That Messiah was a light to the peoples of the entire Galilee. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And Matthew finds it important to show his people, his readers the Jewish people, that Messiah did fulfill these things. Remember, Matthew is writing 30 to 50 years after Yeshua's death, and the good news is being preached to the Gentiles in Rome and Corinth and many other places as well, and they're coming to know the Messiah, Yeshua. The other thing I want you to notice is that after Yeshua sees the woman's great faith, she doesn't receive crumbs from the master's table but she receives exactly what the children received, healing for her daughter. In the story of the woman's great faith, we see what it will take for Gentiles to be included in Israel because it's going to take that same great faith that she had. And Matthew tells us in this story what will be Shaul's platform as he preaches and teaches among the nations, and that is, it is by faith that you are saved. You see, the story hints at what Shaul's platform will be. It is by faith that the Gentiles will find their inclusion in Israel. It is by faith that you will find your healing and your freedom. And I want you to know something else. It wasn't a blind faith. This Gentile woman, by whatever means, knew the word of God. She knew that a Jewish Messiah was coming. She knew that the God of Israel cared for all of his children and desired that all men be saved. And we can see that in her words. Even the dogs eat from the master's table. You see, faith isn't blind. Faith is knowing God and his word and trusting in what he has said. It's understanding his word. It's understanding his plan, his words, and standing on those things. And it's realizing that your request is within his will. And then being persistent in your request because of who he is. It's knowing 
those things that we spoke of in the commentary last week, standing on the compassion and the kindness of God, seeking Him for His mercy. And that's exactly what this woman has done. And right after this story, I want you to note that Matthew records another feeding of a multitude by Yeshua. This time, it's on the other side of the Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And here, it's here that Matthew makes sure that his readers see the fulfillment of those passages in Isaiah that we just looked at, particularly 49 and 9. Now, Mark gives us a little more info as to the location of this next passage. He says this in Mark chapter 7 and verse 31. And Yeshua left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hands on the man. And I put a picture of the Decapolis up here so that you can get an idea of where he's at. Remember, the Decapolis is the ten cities. Deca meaning ten. And this is actually the Gentile area of Israel. Not that it was to the exclusion of Jewish presence in these cities, but these are Gentile cities. The fact is, you know, the more devout Jewish people would not even enter these cities. Because they had statues, temples of other gods. If you've ever been to Israel and been to Scythopolis, you, uh, you know. Because there's idols and temples everywhere. And note that the cities have been given Gentile names. Scythopolis, Capitolius, Philadelphia, and so on. It's the southern portion of the Galilee. And also then, if you just go up the western side of the Galilee a little ways, you come to another Gentile city, Tiberias. And so Yeshua is predominantly in a Gentile area. Remember, it was also, uh, it was also in this area of the Decapolis that Yeshua healed the demoniac from the demon legion. And remember in the story of the demon legion's they went into a herd of pigs. Jewish people didn't eat pigs. They didn't raise pigs. So who would a herd of pigs be sold to? You see the region we're in? I want to get across to you today that there will be many more Gentiles here seeking Yeshua. And in fact, there may be many who were those who saw what he did when he freed the demoniac. They may have saw or heard what he did to this demon-possessed man. And that's why they're here today. Our first feeding of the 5,000 in a miraculous way was to Jewish people. It was on the other side of the Galilee. In a more Jewish territory. By that I mean predominantly Jewish presence. No pigs, no idols, no pagan temples. It's in the northern part of the Galilee and now Yeshua is in a land controlled primarily by Gentiles they raise pigs there they do things that would never be done on the other side of the Galilee or Jerusalem with all those things you should start be starting to put a picture together here of who Yeshua is going to minister to on this day verse 29 says and Yeshua left there and went down along the sea of Galilee and he went up a mountainside and sat down and great crowds came to him bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and laid them at his feet and he healed them and the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking 
and the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seen. And they praised the God of Israel. And they praised the God of Israel. You see, that's another clue. In this phrase, we get, they praised the God of Israel. This is the only place this phrase is used in the whole of the Messianic writings. The term the God of Israel is used in Luke as he quotes Zechariah, the father of John, as he was praising God in the temple. But it's never used in the context of Yeshua healing or teaching anywhere else in the Messianic writings. The term is used in the Tanakh when it's used, and when it's used in the Tanakh, it's used before Gentiles primarily to identify God. To separate the God of Israel from their gods. As an example, when Moses confronts Pharaoh, he says to him, The God of Israel says, Let my people go. If we go to Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Amorites like Gomorrah, a place of weed and salt pits. A wasteland forever. If we go to Jeremiah, it says in chapter 51, verse 33, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time it is trampled. The time to harvest her will soon come. If we go to Judges, it says this in chapter 11, verse 21, the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all of his men into Israel's hands, and they defeated them, and Israel took all the land of the Amorites who lived in that country, capturing it, all of it from Arnon to the Jabbok, from the desert to the Jordan. Now, as I said, it's not used exclusively in this way, but often enough that we should take note of its sole use here in the Messianic writings. When it speaks of Jewish people praising God for the miracles that Yeshua does, it just says they praised God. Why? Because there was no need to identify him as the God of Israel. So I'm not, well, I'm not going to disfellowship anybody for disagreeing with me on this point. We should at least take note that Yeshua's main audience here is Gentiles. We have Yeshua in a Gentile area, healing, and the mute are speaking, the cripple are made well, the lame are walking, the blind are seen, and it says they praise the God of Israel. I submit to you that this story is about the Gentile inclusion in Israel as well. And the feeding of the 5,000 is about the Jewish people. And note that there are no scraps here. But they receive the same bread as the feeding in the 5,000. I also submit that the stories are organized this way to show that the good news is to the Jew first. The bread is to the Jew first. And also to the Gentile who comes to him in the faith of Abraham. The fact is, it's very reminiscent of the, of the book of Acts. We have the Spirit of God poured out on the Jews first from every nation on Shavuot in Acts chapter 2 to the Jew first. And then in Acts chapter 10, we have the very same Spirit of God poured out on a non-Jew, Cornelius, and then to the Gentile. And Peter says, what does he say at the recounting of the event? He says, they've received the same spirit we have. 
They're given the bread to eat, just as the Jewish people of chapter 14, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Verse 15 and chapter 15 and verse 32 says, And Yeshua called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? This is almost amazing to me. I mean, what are we, we're, the, we're one chapter back and Yeshua feeds 5,000. And his disciples ask him, where are we going to get enough bread? I mean, oy vey, how quickly we forget, right? <laughs> right? And it's not just the disciples, it's all of us. Verse 34 says, how many loaves do you have, Yeshua asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they, in turn, to the people, they all ate and were satisfied, and afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 besides women and children. We get this number seven here. Another clue, I think. And we have it repeated twice. And we could do a great midrash on this again if we're figuring that this is, these are primarily Gentiles. Is seven significant when thinking of the nations or the Gentiles of the earth? Well, the number 70 is significant. Now, it would not be like the disciples. The disciples probably aren't likely to have 70 loaves, but seven could certainly represent 70. Is 70 significant? Well, Deuteronomy says this in chapter 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. And so the inheritance of the nations was according to the sons of Israel. And what is that? He set up the boundaries of the nations according to the sons of Israel. And what is that? Well, you find it in Exodus chapter 1. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, God, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. And Joseph was already in Egypt. The number of nations was 70 in all. Now, you know, 70 loaves and 70 baskets full left over is a bit much, but seven... And this being Gentile territory and the fact that we have the term that they praise the God of Israel and just this occurs just after the Gentile woman. Matthew is hinting at Gentile inclusion into the house of Israel, God's acceptance of the Gentiles into the house of Israel and that they will not just eat crumbs from the master's table but by faith in the Messiah of Israel, they will eat the same bread as the natural children of Abraham. As with the feeding of the 5,000 and 12 baskets left over for the 12 tribes, here we have seven baskets left over for the inclusion of all of the 70 nations of the earth. You know, when we started to look at Matthew, I said we should be looking out. We should be on the lookout for the... Th for this Gentile inclusion into Israel, that it would be hinted at throughout the book. And here in these two stories, the feeding of the people miraculously of bread, we find that. And we find it in the stories of the centurion and the Canaanite woman. 
This will, as I said, be Shaul's platform as he preaches among the nations. With all this in mind, listen to what he tells the Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The Canaanite woman and these people in the region of the Decapolis come to Yeshua in faith that he is the Messiah of Israel, that he can heal and set them free. And they are healed and they are set free, just as the Jewish people were healed and set free. But it was to the Jew first. He didn't ask them to circumcise themselves. He didn't ask them to go convert to Judaism and then come back and see him later. But it is their faith alone that made them whole. In the case of the Canaanite woman, her faith made her daughter whole. That should be a comfort to some of you who are praying for loved ones, that her faith could make her daughter whole. Just remember the other part of the lesson, though. The other part of the lesson was her perseverance. And so I admonish you to continue to pray, to continue to remind the Holy One of His attribute of mercy. The point is, He requires nothing from these people, but He sees their faith and responds. Something again Shaul knew. He says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are the children of Abraham. For scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with the children of Abraham, the man of faith. We see those of the Galilee of the nations blessed through Yeshua, the son of Abraham. In the stories we just looked at in the last few weeks, we see the same thing. Listen, finally, what Shaul says in Romans chapter 4. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but it was through righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and we be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Now a couple of things here that I find totally amazing. The first is that Shaul would go out and speak so boldly what the Gospels and Matthew only hint at. If you read the Bible, there's one thing that has to strike you. And that while it has many writers has only one author, one plan, one truth. Even though Shaul never met Yeshua in the flesh, never read a gospel account of Yeshua's life, because remember the gospels were all written after his death. 
He went out and he could so accurately bring forth the good news that Yeshua hinted at in his ministry on earth. The second thing that amazes me, you know that there's people that teach out here that this story of the 5,000 and the 4,000 are really a repetition of the same event that they just got confused on the facts. Have you ever heard that? Well, Yeshua puts that all to rest in the very next chapter. He says, do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets full you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to be on their guard against the yeast using bread, but against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But the thing that really amazes me that is this, that we read these stories like that of the Canaanite woman and all these people coming to Yeshua in faith, all of them persisting, in their requests in faith, and in faith, refusing to be denied, and yet, we so often forget to pray. And when we pray, it's, now I lay me down to sleep. Please help so-and-so, good night. That we read these things, and yet we don't go into our prayer closets and say, Lord, you are the compassionate and gracious God. Lord, I know my son or my daughter is on the wrong side of your law, but Lord, you are the forgiver of sin and transgression and wickedness, and I'm going to sit here until I hear that you will help me. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of who you are and who you've told me you are. You are who I rely on, and besides you, I have no help. So Lord, I'm going to keep knocking until you answer. Amen? Praise the Lord.